Those of you who are uh, four and five years old, you may uh, exit out this door. Uh, Paul is over there at the door, and the four and five-year-olds may go to Children's Church at this time. For the rest of you, um, I want to ask you, if you will, to open your Bibles this morning to uh, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to continue. Now, I really, really, really prayed seriously about should I just continue straight on through Mark, or should I take a detour, and since it's Independence Day, do something a little more in the spirit of freedom? But as I studied this passage, it became very, very evident to me, very quickly to me, that God knows exactly what He's doing. It is through the providence of God that we come to this passage today. And you'll see that as we go through. This text has as much to do with freedom as any other text in all of the Bible. The freedom that we have in Christ. And I pray that you will see that uh, as we go through it. Before I get to the text, though, I want to read two other verses to you. They're going to, you'll see how they fit in as we go through. But let me just give you these two verses. You don't have to turn there. You may want to jot them down, but just listen as I read. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen? And Ephesians 1, verse 6 says this, To the praise of His glorious grace, He has accepted us in the Beloved. He's accepted us in the Beloved. Now you'll see how that comes uh, into play as I go through. This morning's message is entitled, Celebrating Freedom. We want to celebrate freedom. Now, many of you have done all sorts of things this weekend and will do all sorts of things tonight to celebrate freedom. Some of you just like to blow things up, don't you? You know, you get excited about the fourth because you get to play with fire. Uh, My son likes that, and uh, we're a little worried in our house. We have to keep the matches and the lighters where he can't get to them. Um, but, uh, but some of you just like to do that. You like to celebrate freedom. You do all sorts of other things. You get together with friends, and you cook out, and you, you have hamburgers and hot dogs and watermelon. And I shouldn't have started down that road, should I? <laughs> we do all sorts of things to celebrate freedom. But this morning, we have a freedom that some of us maybe have never received, and we've never celebrated. I want to show it to you uh, this morning as we walk through this passage. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. This morning, I want to deal with this topic of freedom. If you go to the dictionary and look up freedom, here's the definition that I found. There are multiple definitions, but this one I think is very applicable. 
Freedom, according to Webster, says, he says, liberation, freedom is liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. It is independence. It is liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. This morning, I want you to hear me very clearly tell you that outside of Christ, we are under oppression. The first point this morning I want to make to you this morning is I want to show you the oppression that comes from religion. The oppression that comes from religion. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says that, And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Now think about the context here. Think about where we've just come from. He's just said to Levi, the tax collector, the most hated, despised man in the whole region, he's just said to him, come follow me. And then he goes into Levi's house where Levi throws this big bash, invites all of these other sinners to him, throws a party, and Jesus eats with them. And the Pharisees, begin, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to come around to his disciples. And they say to, his, to those disciples, they whisper and say, why, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears them, and Jesus, not being one to run away from where truth needs to be spoken, says to them, it's not the well who need a physician. I did not come for the righteous, I came for sinners. Well, it closed their mouth. It put, a, it put a door on their mouth, and they could not say anything else. But they were still upset with him, so they had to change their arguments. So now they go from saying, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors, to now they say, why are you eating? I mean, Jesus, look around. Everyone that's religious is fasting. Everyone all of John's disciples, all of the disciples of the Pharisees, they're all fasting. Jesus, why are you eating? Why are your disciples eating? Jesus is going to give us his answer in just a second. But before we get to his answer, I think we have to ask ourselves, is there any validity to their question? Was there a law that said that he was not to be eating? Was there a law that required him to be fasting at this particular time? Because if there was, Jesus would be guilty of breaking that law. And if he were guilty of breaking the law, then how? How could he become? How could he eventually go to the cross and become the sinless lamb, perfect, spotless lamb of God that would take on the sins of the world? He couldn't. So we must ask ourselves, is there validity to the question? Well, the answer, short and simple, is no. The law required one time a year to fast. Anybody know when it, when it was? Don't you love silence when the pastor pauses from the front? Nobody wants to answer. Nobody's afraid I'll be wrong and then people will laugh at me. It was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was, was, the, was the time for fasting. The Day of Atonement, they were required to fast one time a year. So is this the Day of Atonement that we're at today? In this passage? No. Jesus was not breaking the law. However, the Pharisees had taken this, this law saying that you had to fast one time per year 
on the Day of Atonement. And they had said in their minds, well, if one time is good, then many times ought to be better, right? Which is what religion always does. And they had upped it. They had said, well, if one time is good, many times over must be better, so we will fast twice a week. And they had said, they had written into their own book of laws that said, Mondays and Thursdays we will fast. Everyone who is religious will fast on those days. And in so doing, they were hoping to heap up credit for themselves in the eyes of God, which is what religion does. Do you see that? It is, well, if once is good, then many times must be better, so I will do all of this to try to impress the one who's there. That's religion, and it's oppression. Jesus was in no way breaking the law, but they came to him and said, Jesus, our law says that you you should be fasting here. You should be fasting twice a week. Why is everyone else fasting and you're not, Jesus? Luke 18, we see that. But the law never, let me just go on. They thought they were proving something to God. And really, we're going to discover that they were just operating under the oppression that was religion. You see, the law was never meant to prove certain men's worth. The law was never meant to do that. In fact, it was just the opposite. The law was always meant to show the bankruptcy of men. These were very, very religious men. We have very religious people today. I pray that we would deliver ourselves or have God deliver us from religion. We don't need religion. Amen? We don't need religion. Religion is us saying, how can I do enough here to impress him who's there so that I would earn favor with him and he would look on me with favor? What, what must I do? Well, I must pray so many times a day. I must not eat that. I must eat that. I must do this with, with my child here. That's religion. But it's oppression. Do you understand? You all are, you all are very quiet today. You're feeding off the the lack of people who are here. All of our loud people are on vacation. You all are the quiet people today. (laughs) Except for Graylin. Graylin's back there. He's pretty loud sometimes. Do you understand that there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves acceptable to Him? There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves more favorable to him there is nothing that we can heap onto it or add to it because he's done it all so what the cross is about it's what he meant when he was hanging on the cross and he said it is finished there is nothing that needs to be added to this work all of the wrath for the sin of humanity poured onto the son of god But the wrath of God, which was what we sang about just a minute ago, was completely satisfied in Jesus. That's why we sing, Jesus, thank you. We can't do anything, but they were held in this way of religious oppression. The law was never meant to prove certain men's worth, but to show the bankruptcy of all men. It's what Romans 3 verse 20 means when it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 
You see, the law was meant to be this schoolmaster or this teacher to show us that when we come to the law and we try to do the things that are in the book, you ever taken, the, you ever taken just the Ten Commandments and said, I'm going to do all of these? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, man, I wish I'd have started that before college football. You know? You ever tried to live them? You ever tried to say, I'm going to do all of these perfectly? Before long, you will fail. In fact, you have failed. Thou shalt not lie. How many, how many have never told a lie? If you just raised your hand, you just lied. <laughs> we all, that what the law is meant to do is to show us that we can't do it. It's meant to bring us to the point where we say, this is impossible. There has to be another way if I'm going to be accepted by him. Do you see it? This is what Jesus was trying to show them. But instead, those Pharisees, those religious men, in their fasting twice a week, and in all of their rules, in all of their obeying their own laws, which they didn't live up to perfectly, they suppressed this knowledge. They suppressed this truth of, I cannot live up to this. And they tried to cover it up with religion. They refused to see that their, that their own sin and the law became their master. Religion became their oppressor. Religion became their tyrant, if you will. Let me read the rest of this passage in John 8. Beginning in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. Listen to their answer. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And what they had done is they had come to this issue of the law, which was never meant to prove their worth or to prove their holiness. It was meant to show them their unworthiness and their unholiness. But they had said, hogwash, we will elevate it and we will meet it in our own eyes. They were oppressed by the law. They were oppressed by religion. They always had to do one up, one better. And that road leads nowhere. We celebrate freedom this morning, first of all, by looking at the oppression that comes from religion. Secondly is this. That's no freedom at all. But secondly, we look at the liberation that comes through Christ. Verse 19, Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. In other words, as long as the groom is in the room, it's time to party. It's time to dance. You ever been to a wedding where there's really, really bad dancing? Oh, wait a minute, we're Baptists, right? We're not allowed to dance. Where is that? You know? Where is that? You ever been to a wedding where there's really bad dancing? You know, and people are just kind of going to town with it. And I'm not going to dance because it would be bad dancing if I danced. 
And people are just, you know, and, and somebody's out there and they're, they got the tie on and it's just way too short, you know, and their pants are a little too short. The jacket is long gone and they are sweating and they're just dancing it up. Does anybody sit back? Maybe, maybe you do. But does anybody sit back and say, what is he thinking, you know? You do sometimes, but in a way, doesn't it make it fun? When there's a freedom, when there's a freedom there that while the celebration is going on because these two people have entered into a covenant with each other, we are celebrating. Now, I can tell by the look on some people's face, you need to go out and dance. <laughs> or maybe you were that guy just described. I don't know. But Jesus' point is, while the groom is in the room, they can't fast. Why would they fast? It makes no sense to fast because now is the time to celebrate. The pharisaical, extra-biblical tradition of the day was it, it made, it made a, uh, a provision for those religious people of the day that if they were involved in a wedding, if there was, if they were attendants in the wedding to the bride, to the groom, then they were excused from this law of fasting twice a week for up to a week so that they could celebrate. And they would throw a huge bash. The, the bride and the groom, they were treated like a king and a queen. Sometimes they even brought crowns for them to wear and they celebrated they celebrated for an entire week. They didn't go on their honeymoon right away. They celebrated with their friends. There was coming a day when everyone else would go back to their life as usual, but in that day, they would celebrate. The reality is Jesus is pointing to that example in their culture of that day to demonstrate that he is the great husband that was promised, and he's in the room. How could they fast? He's the husband that was promised. God had withdrawn from his unfaithful people during the, the years of the Babylonian exile. He had, he had withdrawn from them. But now, Jesus was coming back into the picture, and it was the faithful husband coming back who was promised. Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah 54, verses 5 through 8 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Amen? They had rebelled horribly against their God. They had spit in His face, if you will, and walked away from Him. And in so doing, in judgment, He had abandoned them for a season. But now Jesus comes into the picture, and He's the husband that was promised by the prophet Isaiah. He's come on the scene. And we, church... Those who are of the church of God, we are the bride of Christ. Now the men in the room are saying, me, a bride? I, I don't know. That makes me feel a little weird. I always felt a little weird about that. If you look at it in, in the 
in the scope or in the context of our marriage today, it is a little weird to talk about Jesus being our husband, men. But in the scope that we played the part of the rebellious harlot of a wife and rebelled against him through our sin and that he has faithfully come to us when we could not come to him, it is a beautiful picture. Amen? There is no more slavery to sin. There's no more slavery to the law when Jesus comes. How could they fast? There's no more striving to be accepted by living up to the letter of the law. When Jesus comes on the scene and he says, it is finished, there's no more, get this, there is no more saying, Mondays and Thursdays I have to fast. Do you realize how silly that is? Jesus Christ brings freedom because he has satisfied the debt that was owed to God the Father. Those who believed in Jesus were now accepted apart from the law. This is the verse that I read at the beginning, Ephesians 1.6. To the praise of his glorious grace, he has accepted us in the beloved. There is no more oppression in Christ. Let that wash over you today. We are accepted. Accepted by God if we are in Christ. Accepted. Is there a better word in the English language than accepted? I was always goofy growing up. My growth spurts never really matched where I wanted them to be. Between 7th and 8th grade over the summer, I grew 6 inches in one summer. Came back to 8th grade, I was, I was chubby and short when I left 7th grade. When I came back to 8th grade, I was lanky and uncoordinated and very tall. I was looking, I was 6'3 I was in 8th grade. And I was looking down at a lot of my teachers in school, which was good. What wasn't good is when I would go to P.E. or go out on the recess field. And we would pick teams and we would begin to play football. Or we'd play basketball. And I'd go, to, I'd go to dribble to the hole and my knees would knock together. And I would fall over in the middle of the floor. And it got to the point where I was so uncoordinated because I, I had six inches more that I had never had before. And I didn't know how to use it. That when it came time to pick teams, nobody wanted me. That's when you should have said, aww. <laughs> Isn't that just a sweet preacher story? And even though it is sappy and really sickening, isn't, doesn't it feel good to be accepted? Doesn't it feel good to step out there and they say, hey, I, I want you on my team. I want you to come to my house. I want you to go on vacation with me. I want you to go to dinner with us. Doesn't it feel good to be accepted? Do you understand? The greatest miracle in the history of humanity is that we were once rejected outside 
Because we weren't Jews and because of our sin, we were outside of God's acceptance. We were rejected by Him. But God looked on us in our sin, in the fact that we weren't part of the chosen race, and He looked on us and said, they're mine. And He left heaven and came to us, finished the work so that we would be delivered from religious oppression, trying to live up to Him, and He came to us. And now we are accepted. Isn't that good? That's the freedom that we celebrate in Christ. Just as religious people question Jesus' disciples in that day, there are religious people who question today. Jesus' answer was, while the bridegroom's with them, they can't fast. How could they? Now's the time to celebrate. I would tell you the same thing. I would tell you the same thing because we live in a day of grace. We live in a day where it is still the day where we can repent of our sin and come boldly through Christ to the throne of God and be accepted. Now's the day to celebrate. And there are people who sit in church year after year and they are religious and they question every little thing. And even the fact that I'm talked about dancing today, some of them can't get past that. Today is the day of grace. Hear me? Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of grace. How could we stay in religion? Today is the day when the bridegroom extends his invitation to us and says, Come, follow me. Come, be accepted in me. It is no time to fast. It is a time to celebrate. The last point I want to make to you this morning is this. That there is oppression that comes from religion, but there is liberation that comes through Christ. And once we've been liberated in Christ, we have life in a whole new land. Seventeen seventy six. July 2nd, it was drafted. It was July 4th, it was voted in. The Declaration of Independence, it was approved by the Continental Congress. To escape the oppression and declare their independence. And then it was time to do life in a new land. In verse 20, Jesus says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then... They will fast in that day. Do you understand that Jesus here is not saying there is never a time to fast? He's saying that while the bridegroom is with them, they can't fast, but there's coming a day when he will be taken from them. In that day, they will fast. Now, I've just told you, I've just screamed at you that this is the day to celebrate, that this is the day of grace. And it is. But it also is a day when... Jesus has gone. When Jesus has been taken away from us, we're living in that day. He has come once, He's coming again. He's gone away now, not because He's become angry as He did with 
Israel before. He's not left so that he could exercise some judgment on us. But instead, he's left to prepare a place for us. Now we fast for a different reason. We fast for the reason that would not earn us favor with him because we're already favored. We fast now because, get this, we've been in his presence. And those of us who are in Christ, we've met him. And everything's changed. Everything's different now. We've met him. Now we don't fast because we have to. Now we fast because we've met him. He's accepted us. He's gone away to prepare a place for us. And now we fast because we yearn for more of him. That's why we fast. That's why we come together. That's why we live striving for holiness. Because we've seen holiness in him and we want to be like him. That's life in the new land. Not because we have to do these things to be accepted, but because we already are. That's freedom. Not having to fast, not having some tyrant of a ruler constantly reminding us of how we don't measure up and we we must do these things to be accepted by him but we fast today because we get to enter his presence fully accepted do you realize that the bible says in romans chapter 3 that there is none who seek after god but do you understand the miracle that's happened in those who have accepted christ who are in christ today totally accepted the miracle is that now he's made us seekers He has made us want Him. We need Him to make us want Him more and more every day. That's life in the new land. Then he goes on and he says, No one sews a piece of new cloth on an old garment. That would be foolish if you did that. First time it gets wet and dries again, it's going to draw away. It's going to pull away and rip the fabric and ruin both. It's going to ruin the patch and the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. They would take the skin of a goat and make a, make a pouch. And they would put grape juice, if you will, in this, in this wineskin. And it would ferment in the skin. If you did this, and, and, and in a new skin, as it ferments, the gases there would, would be able to expand because the skin is flexible. It's new. And it stretches with the fermentation of the grapes but if you were to take new grape juice and put it in an old wineskin one that is hard and brittle and has already expanded it would simply burst that skin and you would ruin both the wine and the wineskin what Jesus is saying to us is this 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 passage that that verse has been totally misapplied so many times taken way out of context It is not meant to validate every new thing that comes along the way. What Jesus is saying is that for those of you who are living in religion, but you have met Christ and He has forgiven your sins, you are totally accepted in Him, it would be foolish to try to go back now after being totally accepted in Christ and try to live according to the law. 
you would ruin both. You can't add anything to the finished work of Christ. Do you see it? There is oppression that comes from religion. There is liberation that comes through Christ. But once you've been liberated in Christ, it makes no sense to continue living in the old land. We must live in the new land. And that is freedom. Grace. Now it's not license. It doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. But it means that we are set free to love him. To seek him. To worship him. Because he has accepted us and set us free. Do you see it? Let's pray together. Before I pray, I know that there are probably people in the room who maybe they're still living under the oppression of sin. I want to very clearly today challenge you that if you are still living under oppression of sin and religion, trying to earn your way to God, trying to be good enough for God, I would challenge you today to let the law have its intended purpose to show you that you can't and to admit that today to admit before God that you are a sinner incapable of living up to his law you fall short of his glory and then I would challenge you to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ believing that he alone can forgive you completely of your sin and make you right before God. If that's the desire of your heart today, then I will be here at the front. And I will receive you, and I would love to pray with you and talk with you. Some of you are, you are liberated in Christ. But you're still oppressed by the old land. You're still oppressed by the old religion. And I would challenge you today to quit trying to put old, a new patch on an old piece of fabric. Jesus plus anything is worthless. But Jesus by himself, trusting in him alone, is everything. That you will need. Lord, we love you. God, this morning I pray that wherever we are, wherever the individual is in the room today, God, I pray that you would set them free. Lord, there are people all over this room probably who are oppressed by their sin, they're oppressed by religion. They've been striving to be right with you. And God, this morning, what they need to do more than anything else is just to surrender and say, there's no way that I can do this. And I need to receive the gift of Christ and be saved today. Lord, I pray for that person. God, I pray that you would enlighten them 
that you would regenerate them, God. And God, that today they would come to you. Not coming on their own, but coming because you have reached to them. God, draw them to yourself. Lord, this morning all over this room, there are people who are stuck in the middle of two, two worlds. They're trusting in Christ, but they keep going back to living in that old land. Subconsciously, they believe that maybe they're a little more accepted by what they do. God, I pray that you would set them free today. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't give a spirit of license here today, but God, that you would indeed set them free from performance. God, I pray that the cross would be extremely central in their life. God, that they would understand that it is the cross, the finished work of Christ there that settles everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to have a time of reflection so that you can think about what you've just heard. Make no apologies for that. As Ethan plays and sings, we want you to think about the truth that you've just heard. And then after a short time, he will then direct you to stand. And I'll be here. And if today the Spirit of God is drawing you to himself, then I'll be here to receive you to help you through that process. If not... Stay where you are. We don't want any emotion in this at all. We don't want to try to talk you into anything. But there is freedom in Christ. And it can be found today. Let's reflect on that.
I want you to walk out of here today with that on your, on your mind. Tonight, as you hear those fireworks, see them in the air, don't just think about the freedom that we celebrate in this country, but think about the fact that his wounds have paid your ransom. You have been liberated from slavery, from oppression. You have been set free from sin and religion to full acceptance with the Father. Amen? Amen. No services tonight. Enjoy the weekend with your families. Thank you.